Hi, thanks for tuning in to WIUX. You're listening to American Student Radio, and I'm your host, Abby. Every week, we choose a theme and bring you stories around that theme. So today, we're exploring the root of it, what ties us to places, what connects us to our past, and how we use all this to create our future. We've got some great stuff in store today, so stay with us. From Bloom... <laughs> From... Uh, okay, live... What is it? Oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is... This is... This is American Student Radio. Real chill. Real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians. When I recently went home to Ohio, I talked with my family about what makes us, after three generations, keep making the same family recipes. Why do we still make the same Hungarian paprikash when we could make another dish, one that has cheese in it? So these are the hard-hitting questions I wanted answered. I remember one Sunday when I was in high school, my mom got this idea to make cookies. Hundreds of them, like her grandmother used to make. Our kitchen was tiny and we kept bumping into each other as she worked on the filling and I rolled out the dough, both of us covered in flour and powdered sugar. I remember, after a day's worth of work, my mom moving a huge tin of the cookies to the freezer and watching them spill all over the kitchen floor. But, tragic ending aside, while we were baking, my mom told me about cooking with her mother, grandmother, and sisters. They would always make these cookies around the holidays, cream cheese dough wrapped around an apricot, walnut, or poppy seed filling. We called them kiffles or kolachi, the Hungarian and Czech terms for what I think is the same cookie, but my mom disagrees. Anyway, these were kind of our thing. And honestly, they're not that good. I don't consider anything without chocolate to be truly dessert. So when I went home, I asked my family why these cookies, or any food, has survived generations. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sue. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> Would you like to dance? <laughs> That's who I am. What do you want to know about me? <laughs> all right, so I guess I'll explain what I'm doing. Um, so I wanted to ask you about different recipes and stuff you grew up eating or cooking? Um. Well, I don't remember, but I do remember coming home from school and my mom would have cookies being, um, rolling them out. She had special recipes and it made us feel special. What other stuff did your grandmother, Barney, make? Oh my gosh, kolache. She made these holiday poppy seed balls. Well, wait, well, wait, uh, first introduce yourself. I'm your mother. <laughs> I'm Kathy. <laughs> you don't know her. <laughs> I don't know, when you were making food in your adult life, um, <clears throat> I guess, like, how did you decide what to make? Because, like, not everything that you make is going to reflect what you grow up, grew right. up eating, necessarily. No, it, it reflects what you can afford, how healthy you want to be. And when you were younger, there was ingredients that you used that you would never dare use, like lard. Hello? Who would do that today? Grandma Barney? Probably used lard. That's interesting. Just how education will change the way we eat. I think habit, though. I think habit 
probably supersedes education in food, in comfort things. I think habit probably plays a, a much bigger role. But now that we're aware of our habits and we're changing that we're aware of, and we probably will change. But I think food's one of the last things that people cha- don't change. That's interesting. And why would that be? Because I think it's all about comfort and what you're familiar with. I think tastes are very, very specific. Why do you think food in particular is so tied to culture and heritage? And I think it's one of the easiest things to impart on who you are. It's easy to pass on a recipe. It's easy to recreate a recipe, a food recipe. Some of the other ways, maybe not so much. I don't know, stories? I guess stories would, maybe other families use stories. But we certainly, I think the only way we pass down a lot of things were from food. Tradition, I mean, it's just, I still think it's a lot to do with comfort. It's who we are. I guess food is who we are. Let's think about that. Let's think about that. If you think of a cookie that's good, or you have shared memories or easy to share, what else is as easy to share as food? And, and when you put the diverse family together and you ask friends and family over, what else could you share that easily? So when I got back to Bloomington, I figured I'd make these cookies for myself, continue this ritual on my own. The results were kind of ad hoc. I forgot to buy eggs. Shout out to my friend Casey for bringing me a single egg. I didn't have the proper apricot fillings, so I used discount jam, and the dough looked like it was cut out by a monkey. But I brought them to an ASR meeting and made the staff eat them anyway. Um, so Sophia uh, is going for a cookie. So what do you look at when you see this cookie? So it's like nice and folded. It's brown on the edges, a little bit brown on the bottom. It seems to have nuts on the inside. It's like it's like really nicely folded. It's a nice presentation. If I were on Chopped, I would give you full points for presentation. Oh. It's good. Okay, everyone can have a cookie. Please take them. They're okay, is what I will say. Um, They're good. I like them. They're basically like baklava, but like a cookie. What is this? Um, It's called a collage. Collage. I made something like these one time, but obviously it wasn't these because I made them. Um, um, How do you feel now that I've shared my... Do you feel like I've shared my heritage with you? I do. I feel... Like I'm in, I don't feel like I'm in the Czech Republic. I feel like I'm in the United States with my friend who has Czech heritage, and that's exactly the point that you're making, right? I thought there's something to be said about sharing food with people and sharing food with friends. Like when you brought this, I think we all, all of our eyes lit up, and I think that's happened in the past when people brought food to meetings. Is that it kind of makes you love the person that's bringing you the food because it's free food. In fact, I will have another one. <laughs> okay. The music for this piece was created by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. For American Student Radio, I'm Abby Gibson. For a lot of people, Thanksgiving means food. But not just any food, it's a long-held ritual of turkey, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and cornbread. But for producer Sheila Rangavendran's family, Thanksgiving dinners are a little more unconventional. In this piece, she brings us into her family's dining room. In 
many ways, my family is as American as it gets. My parents immigrated here chasing opportunity, the American dream. We're American citizens who vote even in local elections, and there is an American flag flying high in our front yard. But yet, on every fourth Thursday of November, Thanksgiving Day, our dinner plates don't have any of the traditional Thanksgiving dishes. No turkey, no mashed potatoes, no casserole. Because even though my India-born parents have rooted us in America, our original roots are not in America. We don't have traditional Thanksgiving recipes passed down generations. We have little expectation of how Thanksgiving dinner should go. So every year, we make it up new. That is, except for the pie. You need a stick of butter? Yes, I think so. Let's see how much we need. That's me and my younger cousin Vivia measuring butter for the Thanksgiving apple pie crust. Does it say a quarter teaspoon of salt? Um, it says three-fourths. Oh, okay. We're standing in the kitchen at home, the home I grew up in. It's crowded, chairs and family members and cabinet doors are bumping into each other, and the granite island counter is cluttered with groceries, half-made dishes, newspapers. But Divya and I managed to claim a free corner. She's dropping tablespoons of cold water into a bowl with the rest of the ingredients as I work it into a dough. Yeah, looks good. It looks good. Cool! Pie crust is done! See, I feel like apple pie is the one tradition that we stick to every year. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else changes up, but we can always count on having apple pie at the table. And we really can. Growing up, I would wake up every Thanksgiving morning, turn on the Macy's Parade, and peel and cut six cups of apples for the pie. It was a Thanksgiving ritual, and my family doesn't have a lot of those. See, we're also mostly vegetarian and have borrowed from all over the world to replace the traditional turkey. Over the years, we've swapped in Mexican chili, Peruvian rice, Italian butternut squash pasta. Here's a bit of our conversation about our Thanksgiving menu this year. It's me, my mom, my uncle, and my sister, and again, we're in the kitchen at home. So I think we should, again, do like an international flavor so that then it'll be interesting, right? Do you like uh, japchae? Oh, I love japchae. Could do that. Let's do japchae. Is the japchae with uh, different uh, side dishes? No, no it's that clear, is clear noodles. It's yeah, I think it's Korean. Korea, yeah, it's Korean. Clear noodles and uh, with veggies and mm. sauce. So we made the japchae along with a bunch of other foods that we just wanted to eat. No requirements, no expectations, just whatever sounded good. My sister gave me a rundown of everything on the table. So we have some roasted carrot Mediterranean soup uh, with some ginger and mint leaves as a garnish. We have a pumpkin streusel bread, and that has like some some crumble on top. Cinnamon and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. We also have some vegetable puffs, which are like mom's signature dish that I've like tried to pick up on. So they're like um, curry, potato, carrot, and green beans. Um, inside like a puff pastry and they're super good. Oh, and then also we're like throwing together a salad right now. Are we really? Yeah. Oh, I thought we had mixed that. Okay. And then, well, then obviously we have the apple pie, which is like what we make every year. So like every year, we ended the night with warmed slices of pie dolloped with cold vanilla ice cream. It was delectable. Happy Thanksgiving to you. 
So even though our Thanksgivings are makeshift and probably will be for a long time, I find comfort in knowing that we'll continue to finish the meal with that groovy taste of baked apples and cinnamon and knowing that I have a Thanksgiving recipe to pass down generations. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Sheila Raghavendran. Music provided by David Setze under a Creative Commons license. In our next piece, producer Jessica Smith takes a look at heirloom plants that have their roots not only in the ground, but also in our past and our future. And then they like scroll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're so cool. I'm going to be bringing some to the holiday. My name's Susan Wellsand. My business is The Chili Woman, and I sell 2,000 varieties of pepper plants and fresh peppers at the Bloomington Farmer's Market. No hybrids, no GMO, nothing like that. They're all old-timey varieties. When you first see Susan, she is most likely wearing a print covered in peppers. I've seen her in pepper dresses, pepper aprons, pepper sweaters, pepper jumpsuits, pepper necklaces. And she really blends in with her stand at the farmer's market, which is bright and colorful. There are tons of different peppers of different shapes and colors strung up and dried out or growing before your eyes. Susan's passion for her plants isn't something you find everywhere. And I really think what makes the Chili Woman's business so special is the diversity of her peppers. They come from all over the world and each of them has its own flavor, shape, size, and color. And of course they are non-hybrids and non-GMOs. That didn't used to be uncommon. Within the last century, gardeners have stopped saving and sharing their own seeds and instead rely on seed companies to send out the newest up-to-date variety. Today we call something that used to be standard horticultural practice heirloom gardening, and there are still people like Susan who believe it's important to save seeds for the sake of our future. One of the reasons I started my business 24 years ago was I was becoming concerned about the lack of biodiversity in various crops, and chilies kind of fascinated me. So I really wanted to maintain a living seed bank. I wanted to grow rare peppers from around the world and keep them alive and viable, and I also wanted to make sure they were grown in different places. That's another reason why I like to swap with growers in other countries, because we want to make sure they're not just being grown in one place, because that's much too fragile of an agricultural system. The Chili Woman is just one of an entire network of people who are saving seeds, sharing seeds, and maintaining a tradition. In Bloomington, the Wiley House is a place full of history, so it isn't surprising that they have their own seed-saving program that brings together and inspires others to do the same. The Wiley House seed-saving program has been going on a long time. That's Carrie Beam. She's the director of the Wiley House Museum. We grow varieties of plants that could have been grown during the Wiley period. So when President Wiley and his wife and family lived here, which was the early to mid-1800s, heirlooms then mean plants and varieties that have been passed down through time, just like any heirloom. And so the seed saving program just means that we grow the plants 
to harvest the seeds from them. So flowers, vegetables, and herbs. We grow them until they're mature, and then volunteers harvest the seeds from the plants, and then we sell them to the community, and that way we can continue then to spread the varieties, and also people learn a useful skill, and um, are just helping with diversity and uh, plant health in the community. The Wiley House, so it is the home of the first president of IU and his family. And it was 25 acres of farmland. When people um, first settled here, and he was among some of the first, um, this was really a frontier town. So people had to be pretty self-sufficient. The train wasn't here, there weren't large roads coming here, so you had to farm to some degree to make it on your own. An heirloom variety tends to be very strong and can endure the climate and environment that it has been grown in throughout time and then also is adaptable to that climate. Genetic diversity is really important because if we were to continue with just one or maybe just two or three varieties of corn, for example, and think about how reliant we are on corn for all sorts of products and foods. If there were to be some sort of pest or environmental concern that were to wipe out that strain of corn or those few strains of corn and we didn't have any others, uh, it could be catastrophic. So the same holds true with wheat and bananas, all sorts of fruits and vegetables and grains that our world is dependent upon. And so the fewer that we have, the more likely we are to be at risk of losing uh, those varieties and then our reliance on them and need for them. Music in this piece comes from Avon Comedy 4, Key Lobot, Krotovsky, and State Champion. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Jessica Smith. Thanks for listening to American Student Radio. We broadcast from WIUX 99.1 FM every Sunday at noon. In this episode, you've heard a few stories about roots. This week, we asked our producers what their favorite root vegetables are and why. I'm a, a, my favorite root vegetable. Who came up with this? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm gonna go with potato. I like sweet potatoes. Because my parents don't like them, and so when I make them, I get to eat all of them. Uh, definitely carrots. My mom, my mom makes this really good dish with carrots. I don't eat root vegetables. The jicama. It's proud. <laughs> wait, wait, Abby. Abby, what do you put jicama in? Okay, jicama tastes like nothing, and it's very crisp, and you just like dip it in like hummus or like ranch dressing or something. Uh, I enjoy the humble sweet potato. It grows in the ground. It's orange. It's delicious. Um, I like it because you can roast it. You can put butter on and brown sugar on it, and it's not a it's not a weird thing to do. It's like acceptable to put sugar on a potato. 
Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice, on Instagram at American Student Radio, and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash American Student Radio. And check out our collections on SoundCloud and iTunes. Now, back to the show. At Indian University, one organization brings together students who share a common love for a particular root vegetable. In our next piece, ASR producer Angelo Batista takes us to the roots of Sweet Potato Club. Indiana University has a Sweet Potato Club. That's right, Sweet Potato Club. I spoke with my friend and founder of SPC to learn more. So tell me your name and what your title is. Hi, I'm Anna Pusateri, and I'm the head potato of Sweet Potato Club. So whenever, whenever I tell people about Sweet Potato Club, it's usually met with, that's a thing? So why is this a thing? <laughs> why not? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's <laughs> That's really it. Yep, that's really it. For American Student Radio, I'm Angela Batista. I'm also just kidding. We're not done yet. Okay, back to Anna. Well, here's the thing. Sweet Potato Club is a club about promoting creativity and, like, broadness of thought. And so... Why not is pretty good answer. That's true. You know, you know, as Rene Descartes once said, I think, therefore, I am. <laughs> you know, I don't think that was Rene Descartes. For the record, it was Rene Descartes. Usually the second question people ask about Sweet Potato Club is, what do you do in a club devoted to sweet potatoes? Uh, well, as long as you can relate it to a sweet potato, like honestly, we can swing it. So we've done a lot of different types of activities from volunteering to um, eating sweet potatoes together to scavenger hunts. Um, we even last year, we had a big party inside of a giant gingerbread house and we ate yams inside of it. <laughs> I bet you've never eaten a sweet potato inside of a giant gingerbread house. I have. They even have a relay team for IU's Little 500 bike race. Their team is known as the Couch Potatoes. This will be their first year competing. Our goal is, you know, to participate. We don't necessarily need to win. We want to win. But, like, are we going to win? I don't know. So, as a journalist... I'm going to hit you with the hard questions. What, what is the, what's the difference between sweet potatoes and yams? What, what is the truth? Well, Angela, if you had to come to our last, <laughs> our last episode of Sweet Potato Club, <laughs> we had an entire discussion about what the difference is between sweet potatoes and yams. And let me tell you, they're not the same. <laughs> I actually did get to go to their meeting. Here's Professor Pusateri with more. All right. So first, <laughs> sweet potatoes and yams are different on a biological level. <laughs> they, I learned a little bit about biology in my doctorate of potatoes that I received from Indiana University. <laughs> Let me tell you that yams and sweet potatoes, um, yams are monocots and 
sweet potatoes are die cuts. And what that means, there's, if you can see on the graph, there's like five key differences. Between Basically, yams and sweet potatoes have different embryos, different leaves, stems, roots, and flowers. On the inside, sweet potatoes are an orangey-red color, usually with a reddish skin on the outside. Yams are a starchy white on the inside and brown on the outside. They're also differently shaped. And so one key difference between yams and sweet potatoes is that sweet potatoes are always tapered at the ends. So see this like pointy end? That's a taper. Okay, and on both sides it always is like that. You find one that's not like that, maybe don't eat it. <laughs> yams are also typically bigger than sweet potatoes. Some species are huge. Yeah, yams can be up to seven feet long. Um, and also like 100 pounds. In 1999, they found a yam that was 125 pounds, record-breaking. That's like not the norm, but it's like very scary. Like I wouldn't eat something that's, that's that big. It's like a small person. <laughs> that's probably the coolest thing about yams. The worst thing about yams is that they're sexist. Only men can grow yams in Africa, apparently. That's like a very interesting thing that I found out. Um, but it's... It's due to like a deep cultural tradition, um, and so that's just how they do it. But wait, there's more. Final fact about yams is that they can kill you. If you eat a raw yam, they're toxic. So make sure if you encounter a yam to cook it before you eat it. Okay, so we know that yams and sweet potatoes are biologically different. They look different. One can be a delectable dish at Thanksgiving, while the other is apparently sexist and can kill you. So why is there this mix-up between yams and sweet potatoes? Now we're going to talk about the mix-up. It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> Here's the thing about yams. When um, slaves came over from Africa, um, or not of their own willingness, but they were here. And they um, were going through the, going through like trade buckets and like classifying things. And they said like, oh, this is a sweet potato. Oh, uh, and then they didn't actually know what a sweet potato was. So they just called it a yam instead. So that's like the main problem starting <laughs> with the slave trade. <laughs> There's a lot of issues with the slave trade. This is one of them, America. <laughs> And believe it or not, the government is involved with this, too. It's perpetuated by the American government because things are not, <laughs> things are not allowed to be labeled as sweet potatoes without also having the word yam and vice versa. Who made up that rule? <laughs> they're not the same thing. <laughs> Even Ellen DeGeneres is involved. We've always thought there were sweet potatoes and, and yams, but sweet potatoes are actually yams, or yams are actually sweet potatoes. I know, it's crazy, it's upsetting, and it's the truth. Except it's not. Ellen got it all wrong. Sweet potatoes are not orange, they're white, and they look like regular potatoes. Wrong. Yams are orange. That's wrong. This is a picture of a sweet potato. No, Ellen, that is a picture of a yam. This is a yam. That is not a yam, that is a sweet potato. Yep, they are as orange as the day is long. This is what Sweet Potato Club is for. In some ways, it's an advocacy group for root vegetables that cannot speak for themselves. They're sweet potatoes, not yams, Ellen. The music in this piece is by Animal Booster Kiss. 
For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Angela Bautista. Sometimes people sample sweet potato pie. Sometimes people collect samples of heirloom seeds. And sometimes people sample other people's music in their own. Up next, our producer Emily Miles explores sample culture in music. State. Jamming out to Nene Cherry's The Next Generation. Summer days and winter nights, the seasons change, and that's a fact. Is it not? Domarigato! Danke, merci, thank you. And I think, what's that? That drum break? I've heard it before, but where? Was it Give It Up by DJ Ace and Daquan? Watch Me Now by Ultramagnetic MCs, Girls Act Stupidly by Super Lover C and Casanova Rudd, Keep It Going Now by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, One Time Freestyle by Ghetto Boys, Feel Alright Y'all by Two Live Crew, Straight Out Compton by NWA, King of the Beats by Mantronics, I Declare War by Cool G Rap and DJ Polo? Yeah, all of them. And that's just 1988. Originally, the six-second drum solo was beat out by the Winstons in their 1969 track, Amen Brother. Since then, artists have said amen to that in more than 2,300 songs, making it the most directly sampled piece of music ever. We call it the Amen Break. Its sample record is followed by tracks from Beside, Lynn Collins, and James Brown, each with upwards of 1,000 recorded samples. But even those artists sampled others. Especially since the arrival of the computer and progress of digital editing software, using a snippet of an old song within a new one has only grown. But by no means is it new. The Winstons themselves sampled the Impressions song, Amen, in Amen Brother. Another version of Amen was recorded in the late 40s by the Wings Over Jordan Choir. But that wasn't the beginning either. As a traditional American spiritual, it dates back to a genre rooted in a mixture of Christianity and the hardships of slavery in the early South. And from there, we can travel back to the advent of Christianity and the vast musical traditions of Africa. So let's move a little farther south to Brazil and a little farther east to France. At the intersection is Calma. They're a French-Brazilian pop group with members from Martinique to Rio de Janeiro, and you can hear it. Their 1989 hit, Lambada, is our point of focus. You've probably heard its distinctive accordion melody in Jennifer Lopez and Pitbull's 2011 On the Floor, and maybe you've heard one of the other nine songs in which Lambada appears, or one of the 13 covers. But Lambada is not the beginning. It's a cover of Brazilian singer-songwriter Marcia Ferreira's 1986 dance hit, Chorando Se Foi, which is a cover of Chorando Se Foi by Los Carcas. Now we're in 1981 Bolivia, and the accordion piece is instead played on a siku, 
the earliest form of panpipe. Traditionally, Aymara women in the Andes would play these instruments while winding down mountains and searching for wild goats. The oldest known examples of the siku date back to 4200 BC in what is now Peru. How's that for roots? Now let's cross the beams. If you remember, Pitbull and JLo sampled Kalma, and the Winston sampled the impressions. But Pitbull also sampled Jay-Z's Watch Me. Lead that fool, be that rude, if he that cool. Say for what, ball till your days is up. This place is f***ed, all type of A's and such. How they make it where you afraid the fuck They gave us drugs, then turned around and investigated us. Life is short, then you want life support. So in between it all, I'ma say I seen it all. Watch me. Place yourself in the shoes of true fellas. Uh -huh. And tell me you won't ball every chance you get. And uh -huh. any chance you hit, That's real. we live for the moment. Yeah. In the song Feel This Moment. And Jay-Z and Young Jeezy sampled the impressions, I want to go back. In the song Go Crazy. Yeah, it's old boy. This is the official hustler's anthem. You getting money? Throw it in the air. Yes, who's possessed? Still smell up my clothes like Krispy Kreme. I was cooking the molds. Like horseshoes, I was tossing the molds. Time to re up, gotta recycle the flow. I'm emotional. I hug the block. Hey, I'm so emotional. I love my. Chance rules everything around me, so what's realer? By the thriller, call me a ghost face killer. Has this driven you crazy yet? That'd be reasonable. Relationships in the music industry can get wild, with only two degrees of separation between Marilyn Monroe and Marilyn Manson. But perhaps more important than the twisted branches are the ever-present roots, like Christian psalms, African rhythms, and Aymara flutes. For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Emily Miles. One kind of root we haven't talked about yet are the ones found on your head, your hair roots. I tagged along with, along with producer Sophia Salaby when she got her first haircut away from home. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Sophie. Yeah, Sophia. Sophia, Hi. nice to meet Hi. you. Hi, I'm Abby. Abby. 
In September, I realized I needed a haircut. It had been a few months, and I didn't have the time the last trip I made home to Tennessee to go to my usual salon. So by the recommendation of one of my coworkers, I went to Studio M Salon in Bloomington for an appointment with a hairstylist named Kelly. I'm kind of the, a huge hair nerd. Um, I used to teach for a hair company, uh-huh. and I'm kind of like the Hermione Granger of hair. Uh-huh. I want to know why, and I'm like an inseparable know-it-all. Um, but basically, I'm also really lazy, so I like to try to figure out things that can make your hair look its best without you trying very uh-huh. hard. Yeah. So one thing I notice looking at your hair is the underneath is much curlier than the top. Yeah. One of my concerns for your hair is we all sleep on cotton pillowcases. Okay. But isn't your towel in your bathroom also made of cotton? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The answer is yes. I'll help you out. Okay. So cotton's main objective is to absorb moisture. Okay. Any type of moisture. Uh-huh. So what you're doing at night is you're laying on your pillow with your wet head. Okay. And it is sucking all the moisture out of this top layer that lays on your pillow. I would like to see you change at home that I think would enhance your curls and solve that like my hair is dry in the morning when I wake up and it's more tamed is look into getting a satin or a silk pillowcase because they're friction free so women in the 1950s you remember how they used to sleep with those like silk face masks yes. on and all fabulous yeah it's because it doesn't dry the moisture out from around a woman's eyes and it keeps wrinkles from happening so sleeping on satin or silk is the best thing you can do for your face and your hair. When Kelly stepped away for a moment, I talked to my fellow ASR producer, Abby Gibson, who was there to help me record the story about everything I had just learned about my hair. Wow. I just feel like I learned a lot right now. I'm just like, because I feel like, I don't know, like, should, does a hairdresser, do they have the authority to tell you what to do with your hair? Because I'm kind of was like taken aback at first, but I feel like. I kind of feel a little bit upset because I feel like I've been cheated out of some good-ass hair that I'm missing out on. I'm going to have to, after this, we should go buy that pillow. Man, what do you think? Yeah, I've never, like, heard so much information about hair because they're like, oh, okay, it's fine. And then they cut your hair and they're like, goodbye. So that was really cool. This kind of haircut was a completely new experience for me, in more ways than one. This was actually the first time I was getting my haircut in Bloomington, or rather, the first time I was getting my haircut away from home. In the car on the way to the studio, Abby asked me about this. I don't know, how does it feel to, like, be doing something so adult and so, like, rooted here in Bloomington? It's kind of like... Like when you when you were a freshman and you went like home for fall break, Thanksgiving break, and then you were like, I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to go back home. And then you're like, oh, I just called Bloomington home. Like this is a thing. Um, like I kind of live here now, and especially now that I've I'm a junior. I've lived in apartments for two years. I pay electric and and uh, water services from the city of Bloomington. I work here. I'm a student here like it feels real like it feels like I'm I really do live here I made the wrong turn (laughs) um so it's kind of scary like it's kind of like I mean it's not like that big of a deal I'm like am I making a big deal out of it maybe but like it's true it's kind of a lot when you realize like 
like this I mean this is obviously intentional that I came to study here but it's like not intentional how quick you start to feel like this is where I am now and like while I was getting shampooed Kelly seemed to notice a general trend about college kids like me who might be getting their hair cut away from home for the first time I think one thing that I notice a lot with college kids that I think would make a really interesting story is when you're away from home, I'm pretty much the only one that touches you intimately in a caring, nurturing way that a mother would, that you wouldn't get from like your significant other or your friends. So I have a lot of like college kids that come in just because they like need that like nurturing touch that is not okay in our society anymore. Go ahead and sit down for me. So it's like, you wouldn't go to a girlfriend's house and just let her brush your hair for 20 minutes, but wouldn't that be really good therapy for you? Yeah. So you are, are kind of being like my mom because you're touching my hair, but also like you're teaching me all these things. So because it's radio, you can't see what the final product of my haircut was, but let's say it went from frizzy, dry, and huge. Think Anne Hathaway as Mia Thermopolis in Princess Diaries before her makeover to smooth, nice curls. Hair that I'd never really seen on myself before, at least not on purpose. But Kelly made sure I remembered how to take this look back home with me. So what are you going to look into purchasing? A silk or satin pillow. Uh, always, uh, like I've been doing, uh, shampoo at the top. Mm-hmm. When you're conditioning, you do with your you fingers. with your fingers. Not with the comb. With your not fingers. with the comb with your fingers. If you feel like you're really tangly, you can get a pick or a white tooth comb. And comb it when you have conditioner in it. Okay. And I'm trying to think of other things that I need to do. So the least, the less you touch it, the better. Less I touch. Okay. Which sorry. I can tell your hands are always in it. So that's going to be a challenge. Anything I really want to touch my hair. You I can touch it. It's yours. You own it. Yeah, but you're like you look fabulous. So. After leaving the hair salon, Abby and I shared our final thoughts about my marathon haircut. So, how was your first? Hair appointment in Bloomington, like better than most of the hair, most, most of the hair appointments like I've ever had. Honestly, like, like you can tell she's someone who really cares. Oh, that's you. Yeah. That's also um, a two-hour-long hair appointment, which was really intense. Yeah, I was like, I've never had someone spend that much time on hair for me. Like, um, it makes you feel like. I'm worth it. Like, it's that kind of thing where, like, like, like she was saying, there's not a lot of people who touch you in that way that it's like not intimate, but it is very, it like, it's not intimate in like a sexual romantic way. It's like just intimate in general. And you don't. In a nurturing way. In a nurturing way. And you don't really get that very yeah. often. Go ahead. She's having a hard time. All right, any last words, Sophia? Um, I don't know, like, guys, apparently what you need to be doing is sleeping with a, uh, a silk or satin pillowcase. So that's my number one thing I learned. Bye. So it's December, and I would like to say I have bought a satin pillowcase, and I think my hair is happier because of it. I want to thank Abby for helping me record. Music was provided by Poddington Bear under a Creative Commons license. For American Student Radio, I'm Sophia Salaby.
Okay, so Sophia, um, after recording that piece, I was there with you, um, obviously. How was it? Like, do you feel more rooted in Bloomington now? Yeah, I mean, it's not like every day I think about my haircut, but <laughs> it, it is like another step. Um, it's kind of weird because it's almost break. I'm going to um, go back to Cleveland, which is where my mom's family live, before I even go home back to Tennessee, where I haven't been since August. So it's like weird because then I'm going to be there for a month, and then I'm studying abroad. Uh, so it's like this is going to be the longest time I've been at home since probably like a year ago at winter break last year. Cause it's all been like a week here or there. So I don't know. It's like just more and more real. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually went back to Kelly and got my hair cut Ooh, and how was um, that? as well. It was really positive. My hair looked very good afterwards. Um, but it was something that like now I have a hairdresser here. Like when I went home, my mom was like, my mom scheduled me a hair appointment and I was like, I don't really want to get my hair cut here because I have someone back in Bloomington uh-huh. who cuts my hair. So I think my mom was a little wounded. She was like, okay. Did you, uh, did you learn as much as I did? Cause I cut, this was, this, this haircut was two hours. This is yeah. like eight minutes of that. So it was really long. I don't know. How was, yeah, how was yours? Uh, mine was not nearly as long. Um, but I mean, like I had mostly, well, I was there with you, so I kind of learned the same things mm. that you did. Um, she told me some different things about my hair. Um, but yeah, I totally learned. Um, I haven't been as good about implementing it. I still need to buy a silk pillowcase. It's so easy. I, let me just, I did not buy it. It may, this, this makes it sound like I bought it like the weekend after and I was like, I'm good to go. It took me like two months cause it was just sitting in Amazon and I hadn't purchased it. Um, but yeah, I would say. Find, find one on Amazon. Uh, it's real easy. You got to wash it by itself. <laughs> um, I don't know. But, it. I mean, it does kind of feel nice on your face. So you did not go home for Thanksgiving? I did not. So um, I always, this is like a always thing for me. I always go there. I always go up to Cleveland for both Thanksgiving and Christmas and then come home afterwards. So it's like, I, I don't go home that often. People are always like, you don't live in Cleveland. I'm like, no, I don't. But my family does. <laughs> um, our other producer, Catherine, is also in the studio. So, Catherine, how was your Thanksgiving homegoing experience? Uh, oh, no, mm, it was fine. <laughs> what did you eat while you were there? Uh, we ate exclusively white people food because we've like res- we usually have like quite a lot of Filipino food, but I don't know something. I don't talk to my family. So we, I don't know. My mom decided to make completely white people food. And I like, we just continuously ate all day. I would go back to my room and watch Gilmore girls come back for some more mashed potatoes and then leave. So I don't know. There was no, like, we don't like Thanksgiving. I don't know. I don't really understand our relationship to American holidays, <laughs> but we have one. Yeah. Cause I love 4th of July. My family doesn't. And weird. Stuff like what like do that. you do? Does your family do anything for the 4th of July? Um, I personally go out and I buy like hot dog hamburger things and then like mother grill this and then she does, but she's like, why? And <laughs> do you do fireworks? No, because I'm afraid of fire, but I have, I have a patriotic musical theater playlist. Mm-hmm. So like for Thanksgiving, was it, it made it, you made it sound like for your tradition, it's making Filipino food, but like this year you went with. The non-traditional, which is the traditional for most Americans. Was that weird or? 
Um, it wasn't weird because I haven't been eating much Filipino food away while I'm in college because I live in a dorm again. So it was just like, I, I accepted it. Like, I don't really, Thanksgiving's not my favorite, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you were to cook for yourself, like, what kind of stuff would you cook? For Thanksgiving? Like, every day. Every day? <laughs> um, I would just eat, I would just get various vegetables and douse them in oil and, and roast them repeatedly so i'm not creative i hate cooking meat um i think that's messed up so that there's that okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean sophia what has your experience been living alone and like cooking like what have you made for yourself um it's like comes in waves where i'm like i'm gonna be really good at cooking for myself and then other times where i'm just like i eat huge snacks and then i uh regret everything <laughs> and i don't eat dinner um yeah uh but some of my favorite things to cook are um, like this quinoa with black beans and roasted sweet potatoes, mm. hence why I said sweet potatoes are my favorite vegetable. Get on that, guys, with a little bit of cinnamon. It's delicious. Um, and then one really easy thing I make is shakshuka, which is an Israeli um, Middle Eastern dish. Um, and it's like a tomato stew, and you poach eggs in it. And you can kind of... I, I do a modified, non-traditional version because I'm... Uh, I just I've decided to to put chickpeas in it for protein, so I've kind of made my own little recipe, but it's pretty easy. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what do you like? I guess this is your for like this is my second year living in a dorm. I mean, living in an apartment, and this is your first yeah. year. Like, how is that different? Um, I think we always expect like that we're gonna take much more time to cook than we do um but i mean like i've like cooked some stuff that my mom has made like i've cooked like mushroom soup often like soups are really easy to make yes so i make soup a lot um a lot of potato dishes like potato pancakes Mm -hmm. are my specialty because they're really easy and it's just fried potatoes so uh (laughs) that's been my experience so far just cooking for myself you make me potato pancakes for sure uh, I don't know. Yeah, what the last time I went to somebody's like Hanukkah party and there was a grease fire. <laughs> um, I've definitely burned myself before. It's been bad. So I try to stay away from frying foods just because. But then, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. All right. Catherine, do you have anything else to contribute? I, I don't. Actually, I want to go back to hair because okay. uh, I was like. <laughs> Because I have short hair, so I have to get my hair cut, like, once a month. And I was, like, like bouncing between barbershops slash salons because mm-hmm. gender. And I finally settled on one because I was looking at reviews of it on Facebook. And I saw that my friend slash teacher slash acquaintance from my internship, she's from Kentucky. She recently did a creative writing MFA. I, th- I saw on Facebook that she liked and reviewed this one salon. So I decided I'll, I'll go there. So. so do you get your hair cut in Bloomington or Bloomington. in Kentucky? Bloomington because I don't know I feel like like the like knowing that someone I know from Kentucky goes went there when she was here is kind of nice so did you have a positive experience yeah they was- give you free coffee and when you turn 21 they give you free mimosas wow what? yeah <laughs> is it a barbershop or like a hair salon it's a barbershop slash slash salon so Ooh. yeah okay. gender inclusive and they have cool mugs and free drinks. So, 
Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We will see y'all next week with our end of semester best of episode. Thanks for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students from Indiana University in Bloomington. Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash American Student Radio. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Check out Lunamatic's music at www.soundcloud.com slash Lunamatic. That's L-U-N-A-M-A-T-I-C. We'll have new episodes every Sunday on WIUX and streaming on our website at www.americanstudentradio.org.